Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, this morning we are talking about, we're in a series about the gift, the gift, the gift of Christmas. And uh, today we're going to talk about what's in it. What's in it? Do you get a gift that's wrapped and do you kind of shake it? Maybe hold it up to the light. Uh, maybe try to peek into the gift bag. Um, I mean, we wrap gifts most of the time, right? And the reason we wrap them is because we, we don't want people to see what they're, what's in them, right? We want them to wonder. There's a, a building of suspense and we put them under the tree and we kind of build this sense of excitement. My mom used to do that. She used to put a few gifts under the tree early in December, and then she'd add a gift occasionally, and we'd all go snoop around and see if our name was on it. And uh, then by the time Christmas came and we were about to have the big event, uh, we'd go to bed, and then we'd see, well, there's, there's a pretty good amount of presents. But then we'd wake up in the morning, it'd be a lot more. It was amazing. We wrap them, we build suspense, and we look forward to this time when we're actually going to open the gift and find out what's in there. Because that's really what the gift's for, right? Well, some people may say, well, no, Steve, really, the most important thing is that you gave a gift. That's all that matters, that you thought about it, and it's not really what's in the gift that matters, it's the fact that you gave a gift. And I just want to say that that's totally wrong. Because it matters what's in the gift, right? Unless you're going to one of those freaky parties where it's a white elephant and you get to open a gift and then you get to fight over and steal someone else's gift, right? How many of people have asked, don't raise your hand, but I see your heads nodding, you've stolen gifts from people, haven't you? You wanted that little figurine. You had to have it. It was the best gift and there's only you can only be stolen three times or something like that. I don't know. But the gift, what's in it, it does matter, doesn't it? The gift does say something. Maybe that I thought about it. Maybe it wasn't the ideal gift, but you really worked at it and you really thought about it. Um, It shows value, too. Even if it wasn't the right gift, maybe you actually spent something on it, right? And uh, maybe I could take it back, you know, (laughs) think about that. But the gift does matter And when we think about Christmas, Jesus came to deliver an incredible gift. Today we're going to look at what actually is in that gift. What are the contents of that gift? What did Jesus come to give us? We're in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Normally, we preach through major passages of Scripture, and we'll be returning to Acts when we get into January. But for the Christmas season, we're looking at the gospel stories of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. God's Word says this, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her her quietly. 
You know, our sense of justice can sometimes get the best of us. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but it sometimes can rear its head and cause us to miss the amazing thing that God is about to do. You see, God's ways are different than our ways, aren't they? They're higher than our ways. He functions in ways that are mind-blowing to us, and that's what's happening to Joseph right now. There was no reason for him to keep a commitment to one who seems to have broken her commitment to him. See, Joseph's response to divorce her quietly was normal. It's what would be expected. It's what a just man does, especially in the case where there can be no other explanation than unfaithfulness. Still you wonder, don't you? What was Joseph thinking? You know, he may not really have known her all that well. Likely, he knew her family at least as well as he knew her. And he was marrying almost the reputation of her family. A lot of times those marriages were arranged and it was not like this courtship where you date for so long and then you get engaged in our, in our world. It's, it's really more like there was an arrangement made. He probably did know her, uh, but he probably didn't know her all that well. And you wonder... He's thinking, this doesn't fit, this doesn't work, but maybe she's not really who I thought she was. I mean, what happened? Did she have another lover? Was she raped? Um, What happened? But it's bigger than just a relationship. You see, for, for Joseph, his reputation and the reputation of his offspring, and by extension, the reputation of God's people was at stake. For a faithful Jewish man, that's really was really your primary purpose was to produce offspring who could live according to God's law and propagate God's people on into the future. That was critical to who you were. And he's like, I can't do this. I cannot risk the reputation of my offspring. I must carry the line forward. You see, what's happening here, and it may sound odd because there's this betrothal period, and you may not know what that is, but betrothal in those days was more than engagement. It was the legal commitment to marry. And to be betrothed and to break a betrothal, you had to get divorced, actually, to do that, which is why it says that he decided he was going to divorce her quietly. And you could divorce someone in those days just by the uh, with two witnesses, or you could have a public trial. Joseph decides to do the former. He says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't see the benefit of having some trial because all it's going to prove is that either she was unfaithful or she was raped, neither of which is really going to help anybody. And he tries to do this as quietly as he can to make the very best of a very tough situation. But during the betrothal period, this was about a 12-month time where there was preparation. A man would prepare his home for his wife, usually inside of his father's home or his father's estate. Um, That's why Jesus said in John 14, one of my favorite passages, in my father's house there are many rooms or many mansions or many houses, and I go to prepare a place for you. It's a betrothal statement that Jesus makes there. And he says, that's because where I am, there I want you to be. And so that's that whole picture of betrothal. Joseph has been betrothed to Mary, 
And there's this 12-month time when they're supposed to, they don't live together, they're not together sexually. And in some ways, it is kind of a test of faithfulness. And it appears that Mary has broken this. There's really no choice. It's an easy decision, though no doubt very painful. And he decides he's going to divorce her quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, I love that phrase. Because, you know, sometimes when we're considering these things is when God really wants to speak to us, isn't it? As he was thinking about this, man, as he was making these plans, he apparently falls asleep. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, let me stop there, because some of you are saying right now, I've had some weird dreams, amen? Maybe you had one last night. Maybe you took melatonin and you had a really weird dream. Maybe you had the spicy pizza. Um, maybe you've had a rough week, and maybe your dreams are just kind of whacked out. And you say, well, how can I believe a dream? If I acted on all of my dreams, I'd, I'd, probably either, I'd probably be in prison, maybe. I don't know. Let me just say this about how God speaks. And you know this, I think. When God speaks, the person he's speaking to knows it. They don't wander around going, I don't know if that was God or not. It's very, very clear. God knows how to speak to you so you can understand him. And you might say, well, Steve, should I have my dreams evaluated? Should I think through them? You know, I would say this. You should consider, is there any truth that God might be trying to communicate to you in those dreams? Um, I have a recurring dream, and it, it, it deals with my former career, and I, I, I realize that I haven't been going to work. And for some reason, I think I've been getting paid for my previous job in sales. And I, I'm going into a customer that I haven't seen in like 20 years. And I'm thinking they're going to be so mad at me because I haven't shown up for all this time. I used to just kind of write that off. But I think when I have that dream, it probably means I'm worried about something that I've forgotten. Maybe I need to sit and take inventory and think about some things that I need to handle. But this is a dream that God can speak very clearly, and he's dealing with the issue that Joseph is dealing with at the time. So listen to what happens. It's, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. And then let me pause there. Joseph, son of David, communicates a lot. It's saying, Joseph, remember who you are. You have a unique identity that positions you to do something really amazing. It's not just, hey, Joseph, son of, I think his father's name was Jacob, Joseph, son of, it's Joseph, remember your lineage, remember the line that you're in, remember that you are positioned to do something very, very special that very few people are, Joseph, son of David. And you know who David was, the greatest king they ever had. And we know that the Messiah was supposed to come, this great king is supposed to come through the line of David. And so when an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, it feels like something's about to happen that's going to involve a Messiah, that Joseph's positioned to do something awesome. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What God is doing in her is something amazing. 
Joseph, what you saw as offensive, impure, is actually holy and incredibly pure. God is at work in a way you can't imagine. Your sense of righteousness is good, but it doesn't include what God is about to do. Joseph, I want you to listen and pay attention. I'm doing something very, very special here. Verse 21. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. This verse, if you're Joseph... This is the verse where you're like, what? Because if you name a child as a father, that child becomes legally adopted into your home. It's not just as simple as, hey, I'm going to name something. It's saying, he belongs to me. He is legitimate. In other words, Joseph is able to legitimize an illegitimate child. Think about that for a moment. See, in Scripture, the idea of adoption is legal, and it makes this person just like a blood relative to you. And incidentally, that's the picture we have as Jesus has adopted us into his family. Through his blood, we become his blood. Joseph, I want you to take this child that you don't really understand the origins of, and I want you to make it your child. I want you to legitimize Mary's child. And you should call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word um, Joshua. And it means God saves or salvation, something like that. It means there's a salvation in him. God's Messiah is called salvation. And Matthew follows that with it. It says, because he will save his people, from their sins. I have to stop there. Do we need him to save us from our sins? I mean, legitimately, really. We're pretty good people here. I haven't seen any of you get arrested this week. If you have, we need to talk. Um, You're here on Sunday morning. Did you need to be saved from your sins? Are they serious? You know the answer. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. If you know Jesus, you know you needed to be saved from your sin. In a few moments, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, which is a way for us to remember what Jesus had to do for our sin. The name of the Messiah that the Holy Spirit placed inside of Mary is Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. It doesn't say Jesus, he will be a political leader and a dominant force in the world and he's going to take over the world. It says his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. You see, you really don't have any benefit from Jesus in this life until he saves you from your sin. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Has God revealed a sin in your life this week? Would you like to stand up and share? No, I'm kidding. But seriously. 
we should really be thanking him for that. God, you revealed something in me that I need to repent of and you just paid for. Thank you for that. It's when we deny our sin, it's when we deny that we needed Jesus to save us from them. If you find yourself defending your sin, what you're saying is, Jesus, you didn't really need to pay for that. You didn't really need to die for that. I'm really good. I'm fine. We should rejoice when he convicts us of our sin. He will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, Matthew and the Gospels and Jesus constantly point back to what God has said through his prophets. Constantly points back to the Old Testament. It says, behold, this is from Isaiah 7, 14. For behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Later in Revelation, it says, and and he will be his people, and he will dwell with them. Uh, There's this whole sense of God pitching his tent with his people, God living with his people. Old Testament, God seems a little more distant, doesn't he? God visits his people. God shows up. God sends his angels. But for God to dwell with his people as a human is a totally new concept at this point. Your God, Jesus Christ, came to live as a person. And he promised in Matthew 28 that he would never leave us. He made good on that promise when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. So the The gift has two parts, really, or it's two descriptions of what the gift is. The first part of the gift is that he saved us from our sins. And the second part of the gift is that he'll never leave us. He came to be with us. To be with us. Is God with you? Do you have a sense of his presence? Of his power? Of his security? Of his love? God, the God of the universe, with us. Sometimes I think we forget that and we walk around as though God is far off and I hope he doesn't see me do this because I really don't want him to know about that and I really think that God only gets involved when I... No, wait a minute. God, when you receive his gift of salvation, you received his salvation from sins and you receive him. He's present. He's present in our lives. So here's the thing, if you're Joseph. God is saying to him, Joseph, I'm calling you to legitimize this gift. If you reject the gift, if you say, no, I've got another plan, God. I need to continue my line to to be your people. That's what I need to be. And and if you say no, your people are not going to be saved and they're going to miss the presence of God. And I want to tell you today, that same challenge is yours today. When we say to him, God, I I don't really want to accept the gift, or I want to kind of set the gift up, you know, on a shelf in another place while I go live my life, and I'll I'll come back to it occasionally and get a little gift, and then I'll, I'll go out and live my life, and I'll come back to it. We live our lives that way sometimes, don't we? We're delegitimizing the gift. We're not claiming it for ourselves, and for those around us. 
It's amazing that God would put that decision in the life of a human. But it's also amazing he would put it in my life and yours. Because he calls us. He says, Joseph, I'm doing something amazing. You legitimize the gift, Joseph. If your righteousness rejects the gift, if you think you're too good for the gift, your world cannot receive it. They won't be saved from their sins, and God won't be with them. That's our challenge and our purpose in life. So what will Joseph do? He's asleep. He's having a dream. He's going to wake up. What does he do? He knows exactly what to do. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He completes the marriage. Mary has a baby. He legitimizes the gift, and he calls his name Jesus. And we know from the rest of Matthew, especially chapter 2 and following, that Joseph has adjusted his life around this gift. We find out that Joseph has to flee. He has to take Mary and Jesus, and they go to Egypt. His life is changed forever. His trajectory is changed forever. He adjusts his life to this gift. He legitimizes this gift. He names it Jesus, and he becomes its father, and he presents him to the world. You know, I believe God is doing something special in you and that you're uniquely positioned and equipped to participate. God has put you in a special place. If he were to say to you, Bob, son of whatever, living in Florida, Delray Beach, friend of this person, you need to legitimize my gift to people around you. See, that's what he calls us to do. But know this. The thing that would cause you to kind of reject the gift, the thing that caused you to say, I don't know about that, is, it's a couple things. It's either, A, I don't know if I really need to be forgiven. Listen, if that's where you are, I'm praying for conviction today. I'm praying that right now, God would present to you a sin in your life that you need to be forgiven from that you can never make up because that's the best thing that could happen to you. The worst thing for a sick person is to not know they're sick. The worst thing for a sinner is to not know their sin because it cuts them off from the cure for sin, which is Jesus Christ. So either we don't need to be saved or we're like, I don't know if I really want God in my stuff all the time, in my business. I don't... I really don't know because if God is with me, then I can no longer be God myself. Do you ever try to be God? God, I really like the way I live, so please don't change that. God, I like where I live, so please don't change that. God, I really like what I'm doing, please don't change that. God, I really like how I... Wait a minute. Is he God or not? See, if he is God and he is with me, my life is lived in response to him, not telling him what to do. I'm saying, God, I open my hands, and I'm ready to go and do whatever you want me to do. You be God. 
In fact, I would recommend saying that like at least once a day, maybe at every meal. God, I want you to be God today. I was God yesterday. It didn't go well. And today, I want you to be God. Let's just try that. Let's try it for maybe five minutes because I got to tell you, as Westerners, as Americans, as South Floridians, we got it figured out. I mean, everyone else wishes they lived here, amen? We're here. And if you're from out of town, I hope you get to move here. Do you want God to be God? Being with you, is that a good thing? I urge you, be careful of things like, I don't need God. I'm offended if he says I'm a sinner. I'm offended if you say I'm a sinner. Don't let this be a gift that you never open. You ever got one of those? You know, you get the gift and you think you know what it is, so you're just waiting for the next opportunity to give it to someone else so you don't have to buy a gift for that person. You don't ever think that way, but I know other people who might think that way. Maybe you forgot about the gift. It's like having tickets to a concert you never attend or entry into a school you never show up at. Or it's like having citizenship in a nation where you continue to think you have to run from immigration. When he gives you the gift, you get innocence and you get him. You get God himself. I love it how Joseph sets aside his righteousness and he steps into the role of legitimizing the gift. He receives it. He shapes his life around it. He lives to possess it, to display it, and to promote it. I want to encourage you today. Have you received the gift? Have you received the gift? If you haven't, I would love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to spend some time. Julie and I could set up some extended time to help you understand what that means. See, just as Saran expressed earlier, she was on a journey and God was constantly pursuing her until she said, I have to have Jesus. I love that. I love that. That may be you today. I know he wants to forgive me. I just can't get there. I'm just, listen, I want to help you on your journey. You receive his gift. You don't earn it. You receive it. His forgiveness, his presence. And then we simply shape our life around it. It's the opposite of shaping God around your life. You've tried that probably, right? Well, God, I've got my plan, so I'm just going to add you to it. That's a really frustrating way to live. Because God is the most important thing you'll ever have. Receive the gift, shape our life around it, and we legitimize the gift and present it to the world. We claim it. He's my God. He saved me. That's what I want to be known as. When I receive that, when I accept that, when I legitimize that, the world goes, that, that's for real. That's not just a lifestyle. That's not just a statement. It's not just a story. It's not just an expression. I'm becoming him. And I spend my life becoming him. It'll radically change your life and those around you in an incredible way. 
just a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And this is just an expression of our remembrance of what Jesus has done. If you've received the gift and you've been baptized, you're welcome to join us. But before we do, we're going to take a minute to pray because God may have convicted you of sin in this time. We never want to come receive these elements having not repented of any known sin. does not mean you're perfect because no one in this building right now is perfect. I know most of you. Even the most godly of you I know are not perfect. It just means I'm going to live a repentant life. I'm going to respond to Jesus with repentance and constantly take advantage of the gift of salvation. So I'm going to pray. When you're ready, you can come receive the elements. Gary Templeton and Richard Holt will serve you. Get your elements, you can return to your seat, and we'll take them all together in just a moment. So let's pray first. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.